Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Allison, and I'm so glad you're here to discover what brings out the best of you. This podcast is all about breaking free from painful patterns, mending the past, and discovering our true selves in God. I can't wait to get started as we learn together how to become the best version of who we are with God's help. Welcome to the Best of You podcast, where we are going through a series of real people overcoming real problems by popular demand. This is what you guys wanted to hear. You wanted to hear from real women dealing with real things. And I'm so excited about my guest today, Christy Joy. She is a powerhouse. I met her at this retreat. I've talked to a couple of other women from the retreat. And Christy is just this laser of wisdom and authenticity and intentionality. As I kind of got to know you from a distance and listened, I was like, this is a woman who's being very intentional about her life choices. She's a wife. She's the mom of five kids, (laughs) ranging from what ages, Christy? 12 to 1. 12 to 1. You are in all the seasons. Made a decision, which we're going to get into. You had developed a pretty significant online platform, which you basically walked away from. For various reasons, we're going to get into that. But prior to that and, and ongoing, you have this real passion for helping women love the bodies they're in and body image issues. And just you're just a treasure trove of wisdom. I'm so glad you are here with me today. Thank you for taking time out of your summer. I know it's not easy when you've got a bunch of kids in the summer without structure to find an hour to come on a podcast. So thank you. Oh my gosh, Allie, what an introduction, man. I need to, let me, hold on, let me sit up and get myself together. (laughs) (laughs) The woman you described, I do want to be her. I'm very excited to be on with you and I feel very blessed to have the opportunity to do so. Thank you so much for even thinking of me. Well, one of the things that I like to do, and we'll kind of get into some of the different things that I learned about you from the retreat. But the very first place I like to start with my guests, and we're, we're really focusing a lot on body image today, but there's a lot of layers to that, as you've shared with me, different angles of things that you've overcome, is just kind of going back in time to who you were. At, I always like to think of this cusp of adulthood, like 18, 19, 20, what you were like then, how you saw yourself, what your relationship to your body was like before you were even a mom. Tell me a little bit, give me a little snapshot of Christy Joy, the young woman. That girl, Christy Joy, she was religious about, well, I would say like right about 21, like very religious about exercise. I didn't have the best eating habits because I had a really, really distorted view of what my body was, what my body is for purpose of my body, all things that I've had to grow into learning. But that girl used exercise as punishment for everything that she was not and just really wanted to be skinny, wanted to fit into size two jeans. (laughs) When I was eight years old, I'm going to give you context too, like where that even came from. When I was eight or nine, my grandpa came home from a trip and we're all sitting around the tables, my mom and some other people I can't even remember. And he had those plastic bags and he's like, oh, I brought you a souvenir. And I'm like, oh, cool. You know, kids love anything, right? That someone brings. And so he pulls out this t-shirt and on the t-shirt, there's like this bunny rabbit 
and I'm reading it. And on the top, it says, I'm not fat. And on the bottom, it says, I'm just fluffy. And I'm like looking at it and I don't get it. You know, I'm like, I don't get this. And then, I mean, I remember like it was yesterday. And it's funny because as much as I've grown and as much as I love my body Mm -hmm. and, you know, the journey that it took me on and I still burn to this day with Mm -hmm. tears at the realization because I, in that moment, I thought, am I fat? Uh. (laughs) Like I literally, the thought never occurred to me. Oh my gosh. Million years because before then, my body was like the vehicle to take me everywhere I wanted to go. Everything I did, I was super active on the playground. I was like, you know, one of the first kids picked for sports because I was very aggressive, <laughs> you know. But then from that day on, I became a slave to comparison. Okay. And that very next day I went to school and just realized, wow, I am bigger than all my friends. are thinner than me. They're more blah, blah, blah. And that literally became my life's record in my mind, a record of comparison. And so, yeah, by the time I was 20, 21 years old, I had found exercise and its power, but for the wrong reasons. And um, yeah, sorry, that was a short story long. <laughs> no, it's so amazing to me that it's like before, no thought, loved your body. Like you said, it's what allowed you joy and play and activity and you are active and you are athletic. And then that one introduction of an idea that you might be all of a sudden just launched yep. this whole decades of comparison. Decades. And the other thing you said that is so interesting to me, and I find it such a theme, especially in this series, is how a strength becomes a stumbling block. So like you said, exercise is a great thing. It can be a very healthy thing. But for you, it became, it almost sounds like a weapon or a, how would you put that? It almost became a... it was a weapon I wielded against myself. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I wasn't working out going, whoa look what my body can do. I was like, whoa, look what exercise can do to my body. Oh, wow. Like shape it into submission, shape it into what it needs to be to be okay for other people around me versus to feel healthy myself. Yes. And I never, ever saw my body, what it really looked like. I always zeroed in on the area that I considered to be my problem area, which was my thighs. And I, when I looked in the mirror, I almost only looked at my legs. That's all. And to me, ever really saw them doing what I wanted them to do. So, you know, that was like, I would like have these different pairs of jeans that I used to like try on. I would try on like eight or nine pairs of pants weekly, sometimes daily justice instead of a scale that was like my measuring stick put them on in the morning and some days I would be like I'll put on like one or two and then some days I would obsess I would I'd be putting on like 10 or 11 pairs of pants and it's funny as I look back I'm like wow how psychotic were you (laughs) that sounds so crazy but at the time it didn't I that was my reality it felt normal It, it felt very normal to me yeah did you have a sense of what you were trying. So whenever we do something like that, we're trying to take control of something, right? Like we're trying to, I believe, kind of manage a part of us to feel better. But usually it's masking something else. Yeah. In hindsight, do you have a sense of what it was that maybe you thought the jeans, the perfect fitting jeans 
could fix, Mm -hmm. even though that was probably subconscious at the time. But somehow some part of you must have believed, oh, if only these genes can fit exactly right, I'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. What was that belief? I think it must have been that if these genes fit perfectly, then I'll be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Wow. And that's it. I mean, boy, what a limiting belief of beauty, but it really felt that real. What a limiting belief of beauty. Yes. Wow. Okay. So take us on this journey a little bit. So this is kind of where you were. You're entering adulthood. When did you begin to realize, huh, maybe this isn't the healthiest way to approach exercise, to approach my body? I heard my two kids, my oldest two, Brayden and Riley, playing in the hallway. And I was standing in the mirror and I had just done my ritual of like trying on maybe like two or three pants or something like that. And I heard them like laughing and joking and I'm standing in the mirror and I heard it audibly as if someone was standing in the room. Mm. And the voice said, basically paraphrasing, if you don't fix this problem that you have, your daughter is going to be just Mm. like you and it's going to break your heart. Wow. You could interchange that with you know, my son, I mean, men have body image issues as well. Like, you know, basically, you know, and I think the daughter drove it home just because I'm a girl, you know, Mm -hmm. she's a girl. And, and it was as if fingers were snapped in time. Mm -hmm. That Mm -hmm. right there was enough to jolt me into, I need to figure this out. This is not healthy. Okay. And I, at that point I had known that it, and it wasn't healthy, but I was so locked into this way of life that, you know, there's this saying until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, you won't change, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that I, even though it was painful, staying the same wasn't as painful as changing. And it Mm -hmm. got to the point where I wanted to change so badly that it was worth it. Mm-hmm. to have the discomfort of changing and growing, um, especially if it meant being a healthier version of myself for my children. Amen. Yeah. It's so interesting how so often seeing it through our kids' eyes gives us, that's the gift they give us, that reality check of, oh. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the pain of change. So you realize in this moment, oh, I've got to change. Mm -hmm. What did you do? How did you take steps? Because it is painful. I love that you're saying that. It is. Change is hard. Yeah. It's really hard, especially it had been going on for a while. This is a way you had learned to cope. I I believe these are coping strategies. There was something you got from that exercise, you know, even though it it was no longer constructive. So what did you do to take steps to change and heal? Well, you know, in the beginning of us talking, I was able to very simply, clearly tell you where everything stemmed from, but I didn't really know. Got it. And so I had to actually take the time to trace back lots of reading, first of all, so much reading. And I cannot encourage enough for, you know, the women who have been a part of my community to read, (laughs) read, find the books. There's so much information out there. Are there any that you would recommend just off the top of your head? There's one book that I think is really extraordinary called Women, Food, and God. Hmm. It's by Janine Roth, and it's amazing. 
she talks about her, her own life and her uh, yo-yoing up and down in weight. Mm -hmm. And she starts the book by telling how many pounds she's lost over her life. And it's like an astronomical amount. (laughs) What? You know, but she just has a funny, dry way of talking about body image. And so Mm -hmm. that book I think is really great. And so, yeah, so that's, that's one. And I'm trying to think of everything like blends together between podcasts and reading and going to conferences, you know, like everybody's voices are like blended together. The one thing that I, that I know was a huge, huge exercise was going back and identifying all of the life changing scenarios in my life. Like mm-hmm. every single time if, that I could remember, good or bad, that my life changed. Like it was a very monumental moment in my life. And I listed all of them out. And then I defined what I learned from all of those monumental moments. That's what actually helped me to transition beyond being hurt by what my grandpa did. One of the other things that was really difficult is that my grandfather was like one of those people who you could be the butt of his joke or not. Like he Mm -hmm. just wanted to laugh all the time. He didn't really care if it was hurtful, nor could he, he was not Mm self-aware. So even if you were mad at him, it doesn't matter because he didn't care. So -hmm. there was not even like any type of redemptive story or like reconciliation. I don't ever really remember being angry at him. I was just angry at what he did because I Mm -hmm. think I recognized that he didn't really care who he hurt as long as he found like joy or, (laughs) and I know that sounds really bad. Like he was a cool guy. I'm not saying he wasn't like some sadistic, but it just was how he was. Like he, Mm -hmm. if he thought something was funny, it was funny. And if you didn't, it's like, you're too serious. Too bad for you. You Yeah. 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 You're too serious. And so, I knew it was a waste of time mm-hmm. to even like hold him accountable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, so that was a tangent, but I think that's important too, because I think, you know, when, when we are hurt by someone or someone triggers our issues with our body image, it can be so hard to move past it because we have not forgiven the person mm-hmm. who's done whatever or said whatever. But at the end of the day, that person cannot come between me and my freedom. That's such a great point. Like, you're not taking him off the hook. You know, yes, what, what he did was hurtful. And, at the, and if you can't get forgiveness, if you can't get reconciliation, whatever, great. But if not, you still, you know, what I hear you saying is, I still had to deal with this. You're not helping anybody else by not getting free yourself. You know, at the end of the day, he doesn't know at all that this, you know, that this is so important to me. And he Getting high-quality food and household essentials delivered right to my doorstep, whether it's my favorite Dave's Killer Bread, incredible wine, or seventh-generation cleaning supplies has been a game-changer for me. I love that Thrive Market only allows trusted, top-quality ingredients while restricting thousands of harmful ingredients like artificial flavors, high-fructose corn syrup, and more. And with just a few clicks, I can filter out ingredients that I don't want, like gluten or high-sugar content, making it so easy to find the items I need for my family. 
Best of all, when you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Save time and money and shop Thrive Market today. Go to thrivemarket.com slash best of you for 30% off your first order, plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash best of you. Thrivemarket.com slash best of you. A recent survey found that 7 in 10 parents get an average of just 3 hours of sleep a night in their baby's first year. Moms, you deserve to have quality sleep, and I know one thing that will help. It's Cozy Earth. You can discover the secret to better sleep with Cozy Earth's luxurious bedding products. And here's an exclusive Mother's Day offer just for our listeners. Use code BESTOFYOU for 35% off at CozyEarth.com. Cozy Earth bedding products are crafted with temperature-regulating technology that adapts to your body's needs through all phases of motherhood. And they use only the very best fabrics, materials, and weaves, offering superior softness that invites you to sink into a world of comfort. The best part is Cozy Earth stands by the quality and longevity of their products. Enjoy a 100-night sleep trial and a 10-year warranty on all purchases. They're built to last through the hardest days and the longest nights. Treat yourself to ultimate comfort with Cozy Earth bedding and sleepwear and prioritize your self-care and sleep health. Head over to CozyEarth.com and use promo code BESTOFYOU for an exclusive 35% off. The luxury she deserves. Cozy Earth. So anyways, being able to go back and pinpoint the moment in my life where my body image shifted. Yeah. Then to actually see that little girl and to be able to communicate with her in a way of like, we're not even her anymore, mm-hmm. you know, like, and we were a child and he was acting like a child. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. to talk to her in a way where it's like, you know, because what happens is, is that even though we become grownups, we're stuck emotionally in that place where that thing happened. Exactly. Oh, all the trying on the jeans, all that. Literally, that was the behavior of a nine-year-old. That's right. Do you know what I mean? And so I had to graduate and to explain and express to myself that I was a child and what happened was really hurtful. And I had no control over that, nor was I responsible for it. And then to, to go from there, I think that was really... That was really helpful. You are saying something right out of all of the trauma literature, which is that was (laughs) it was traumatic for you. Right. And whether big T trauma, little T trauma, it doesn't matter. Something inside of your body at that age picked up a message that you then lived out. And so you're exactly I mean, that is real wisdom where you had to go back to that root, help her see And this happens to us. And no matter how much we go, why did I, why didn't I just blow that off? Why didn't I, it doesn't matter. We, at that moment in time, that meant everything to you. Yeah. Your grandfather's words, you know, and so to go back and help free her of that weight, give her that. I did a kind of a whole episode on this whole, everybody talks about this inner child, but they live in us. These memories (laughs) live inside of us and are operative inside of us until we kind of separate and go, wait a minute, I'm not that little girl anymore. I can help her in maybe the way I didn't get help at the time. My guess is at the time, there wasn't anybody around you to help you. Maybe nobody even knew. I don't think, yeah, I don't even think they knew how much I internalized it because I expressed it. And so- Which is what kids do. Yeah, 
my mom, I remember my mom, you know, hugging me and, you know, I remember her saying something of, but my mom used to have this thing where she would say, it's just baby fat. It's going to like fall off, you know, like, don't worry about it. It's because you're, you know, little. And then as time gone on, it's like, okay, well, I'm not a baby anymore. So, I mean, what's really happening, you know? So, but yeah, no one really knew. No one knew to comfort me. And mm-hmm. so then anything that was body related that was said to me from like a family member or a family friend was an immediately a trigger. And mm. no matter what, right. They had no matter what they had no idea. And it was just, it was a huge trigger for me. In hindsight, how would you, what would have been helpful to you or what would you say either to her or to your own daughter to help them love the body that they have? Well, I would have zeroed in on what my strength was, which is something that I do with myself all the time now, constantly thank myself for being as strong as I am. And I think I told you about how like I'm, you know, was one of the first kids who's picked on the playground, extremely active, you know, just doing all kinds of stuff outside, playing in the neighborhood, hours, hours and hours and hours, like very, very active. I would have picked up on that. Yes. Have encouraged that. I would have, I'm really big on identifying body shape and why it's important. Mm -hmm. You know, like for instance, different cultures are shaped differently. (laughs) The purpose for that, you know, in the French Polynesian, like ancestrally, the men built boats and went out into the water and the women were the protectors of the land while the men were gone. Imagine leaving a bunch of, you know, tiny women behind to protect the land or to help bring the boats in, in the water. Like you need strong, you need to be bottom heavy for that. It's because we are all a melting pot in America without the boats and the you know, and we're not building houses like, but our structures are the same because that is what our bodies were created for. Yes. I love finding out what was my body created for? Like what, you know, mm. if I do have these thighs that are, you know, you know, thicker thighs and a rounder butt or whatever, you know, why, why? I want to know why. That's and great. what can it do? Right. Yes. And so with my kids, I I try to be very, very intentional about reminding them. Like my son, he put on probably like 10 or 15 pounds during the pandemic and he used to be super skinny. And now he's like, and he's very active too, but he's way more solid. And he has like a little bit of fluff around his tummy. But I tell him all the time, I'm like, dude, you be thankful for that weight that you gained. I said, because it's way more difficult to build muscle out of nothing than it is to build muscle out of what you have now. I mean, he's so mm-hmm. solid. People spend so much time eating extra food just to put weight on, yeah. just so they build muscles. I'm like, you did it naturally, dude. You nobody's gonna want to like even come up against you. You're so you're like you're so girthy, <laughs> like you know. And so that's the way. It's like using actual factual information yes. Yes. and knowledge to help yes. them. And why their bodies are doing what their bodies are doing and that it's for their benefit and protection yes. uh, that their bodies do what they do. And so 
Yes. And by design, like what you're saying, by design, there are different. I, as, it's funny, as I'm listening to him, remembering I, I had pasty white skin that wouldn't tan and burned. And I lived in an area of the country. Everybody baked. I mean, at, back in the day when I was I'm old and people would go to like tanning beds. And I wish someone, like you're saying, would have said, no, no, no. Your skin was made that way for a reason, right? I love what you're saying. This is part of your ancestral, the Scottish, and don't try to be like someone you're not. That's the point. Figure out who you are, the body God gave you, what it looks like, what its purpose is, and steward that. And and again, you're kind of getting at this idea of comparison. The antidote to comparison is owning your own strength, is owning your particular the way you were made, which is more and more and more, I hope, where we're moving culturally, but wasn't always the case. You had to work really hard to arrive at that for yourself, and now you can help your kids. Right. I mean, again, right, our definition of beauty is being redefined every day. Mm -hmm. And it's different, you know, every decade. Someone comes out and says, this is beauty, and then everyone kind of tries to file in line behind whatever that thing is that they've used culturally. When at the end of the day, wherever your ancestry came from, if you went there and everyone looked the same, no one would care if you were tan. That's not that, you know what I mean? They don't even care about that because they're trying to, it's about survival. Right. And we can understand that our bodies were actually shaped for our protection and survival. Yeah. That it's not about, how it looks in a pair of jeans or in a a low fitting dress or, you know, our arms or our saddlebags or whatever other way we want to define our bodies in a negative light, but to really understand what is actually the purpose. It completely flips everything on its head. Yeah. That's amazing. So I want to just pick back up. So you, you you realized you needed to change. You really did this deep dive into your own. It's like you did an inquiry into your own. You got back to the root with your grandpa. But also you mentioned these other key junctures, key life moments where maybe I wanted to kind of ask about that. Were there other other moments where you noticed that you needed to go back and maybe change a message or change a narrative that you had in your head? Yeah, I, I definitely, I would say in the area of dating, I had a real knack for picking potential. (laughs) I love it. I had an eye for potential. Wow. Did I, I could see the best Mm. in any, that's actually one of my superpowers is that I really truly can see the best in every person. Mm despite they could have glaring flaws and I could sit down with them for an hour and talk with them and I would be able to find their their strengths, their powers, mm. what makes them awesome. It just didn't work well dating. <laughs> yeah, 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 not the best recipe. It's great if you're a counselor, a coach, what you became, even a mom. Not so much when you're picking a life partner. <laughs> no, no, I figure out. And I think what happened was, is I just ended up, you know, really young, really, really young. I ended up having a boyfriend like middle school, eighth grade, who was really pretty terrible Mm -hmm. in the sense of where his family came from, what their family was into. It was just really bad. And his treatment toward me, it seems so it's like nominal, like eighth grade. That's like not a big deal. But what happened is he set the tone for 
guys I would date after him. Yeah. And it was a very emotionally abusive mm. relationship. And so I had to figure out what the heck, like Christy, because I remember I was dating a guy who was just, I mean, if I was me, but not the me that was dating the guy and I was talking to me, <laughs> I would have had so many things to say to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I, it's literally like I would be outside of myself watching myself mm. be with these guys that I knew just could never be a life partner. And um, one day I was, again, it was one of those moments I was driving in the car and I was talking to God and I just made a decision. I never talked to the guy. We, we weren't even arguing at the time. I never took his call again. <laughs> You're kidding. Just done. Because at the end of the day, in my mind, he didn't need an explanation. He had already done so many things wrong yep. that I stop at any time. And he could just pick one of those things. Yep. And I think it would be sufficient. I didn't want to have an argument or a conversation about nope. why walking away because it was unnecessary. I had made the decision. And from that day on, I, I literally, again, it came to like the pain of staying the same. Mm-hmm. I just, I knew, I'm like, I want a husband that loves me. I want to have a beautiful family of children who love their father and the father is a good father, you know? And from that point, I just, it comes back to the kids. I realized that maybe I didn't love myself enough, but when I thought about it from the standpoint of, did I want that guy to be my kid's father? It was easy for me to say, no, I do not. I love that. Yeah couple things. I mean, what I love about what you're saying is, number one, oddly enough, those sixth, seventh, eighth grade years, those wounds. How old were you with when your grandfather? I must have been like fourth grade. Fourth, fifth. Okay. Yeah. But still, in my work as a therapist, it always goes back. Fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, these formative years where we take in messages the way somebody and we do. There's a part of us that's like, why, why am I not just over this? Yeah. That's when we're being shaped. That's when that self-perception is being shaped. So it makes sense to me that even though parts of you were like, why am I doing this? And then what I love about what you're saying about that when you realized it, you didn't know an explanation. You're absolutely right. That wisdom that came from God of like, nope, I don't know this guy, anything else. <laughs> that Nothing. Has, and that's actually going forward. That has been my way of like, I felt like I knew that if I needed to explain, I actually wasn't over it. That was like an indication to me of I need to do more work because if I, if I need to tell you what I'm about to do, mm-hmm. then I really don't want to do it. If I just do it, then I know that I wanted to do it. Do you see what I'm saying? Totally. Like, I, I'm done. I'm ready. Yeah, I'm ready. You know, anytime I've had to go back and say, you know, I'm going to do this for blah, blah. That was really my way of just Mm-hmm. not really wanting to do it. You know what I mean? Try to mm-hmm. get, maybe they'll convince me not to, maybe they'll, you know, I don't know, but yeah. Tell me how, there's two other things you've mentioned and we'll see how these work in, but I, I'm i curious, you mentioned a miscarriage, is that right? The loss of a baby? Yeah, man. I mean, I was like five months pregnant, mm. 20, shy of six months. Oh, so, I was 23. 23? Was I 23 weeks? Mm. Um, And so, and I actually had to deliver. I couldn't just let it pass. 
So yeah, that was a time. It was the baby before my last Mm -hmm. and he, his heart just stopped and I knew something was wrong. I went into the doctor on a day when I didn't have an appointment because something, I just knew something was wrong and, Mm. um, sure enough confirmed that he did not have a heartbeat. And, um, that was, that was, you know, I I had to take all my kids to the doctor that day and they were in another room. They were in another Mm. ultrasound. And I remember coming out from that appointment and going to get them and just having to like hold it together, you know, Mm -hmm. because they don't know, they don't know what's going on. And I just, I remember going to the car and getting everyone in the car and driving home and everyone going to the house. And then I remember just sitting in the car and I was just bawling, Mm. you know, and it also gave me a newfound, not that I didn't have uh, empathy for women who had lost, but it, but when you don't experience it, you just don't know. Yeah. You know, and it gave me newfound for my friends who've lost one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. six, just willing to keep trying. Just, I'm just like, oh, talk about the real warriors in the world. Like mm. it made my heart just grow even bigger for mm-hmm. women who have lost and, and women who have not even had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then you find out how it's such a silent, so many women I know who are like, oh yeah, yeah, I lost my whatever. Or I lost, and I'm like, what? Like, you're, I know you, what do you mean? <laughs> how, how did People I People don't talk it? about it, I know. You know. When women don't talk about it, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, that just, it, it, even that, that pain of knowing that there's so many women out there who have these silent silent losses that mm. they don't talk about, that they don't really share, but it's just there in their hearts. How did you get through that? What helped you get through that grief? So, you know, everyone who knows me knows that I am like that thing that I told you about that 20, 21 year old girl who used exercise as a weapon against herself has grown into a woman who uses exercise against everything else. <laughs> just not me. That's what I was curious about, right? So that became healthy coping for you? So, yes. And so what happened? So I have a bike, you know, one of those bikes that has like the trainers on the screen that tells you what's what, what to do. And I was in the car, like I shared with you, bawling, bawling my Mm -hmm. eyes. And again, audibly, like the voice I heard in front of the mirror, I heard, get on the bike. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what? (laughs) Like... Okay, I know that everyone thinks I'm crazy and knows I'll exercise through anything, but this is not the time <laughs> to get on the bike. I do you understand? And like, no, you know. And so, but I, but I heard it again. Like, just get on the bike. And so I got out of the car and put my clothes on, got on the bike, and that person who was training that day, they must have known. And actually. I'm getting the stories kind of blended because the day that the doctor told me, I did sit in the car and cry. But then a few days later, when I went to see the doctor that told me that I was going to deliver, he actually made the appointment for a few hours later that day. So I didn't even have time to like process that. I I thought my doctor told me that I I was going to have a procedure. I didn't know I was going to have to deliver the baby. So that get on the bike actually came after I came home, knowing that I was going to have to deliver the baby in just like three hours. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I was in my car bawling my eyes out. And so I got on the bike and it was like that trainer knew that I was going to go do that mm. because, you know, it was a climb ride. And I believe that when you're going through something in your life, name it, name how it makes you feel. Does it make you feel like you're going up a mountain? Does it make you feel like you're standing still with a lot of pressure coming against you? Like name whatever that the feeling mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. of where you are. And then I always encourage, go do a workout that gives you that same feeling. Mm. So like, if you feel like I, I feel like I'm climbing uphill and it's one of the most difficult mountains, I say, go on a hike or go get on a bike and climb, right? Which is what I did. I was like, I need to climb. I climbed. And she said something towards the end. She has you like stand up, you know, you stand up on the bike and you're rising up. And she said, I want you to rise up. I want you to rise up like you have something to do today. Like Mm. you have something to prove, right? And right in that moment, I was thinking, I do have something to do today. And by the end of that ride, I, you know, all those good endorphins just, Mm -hmm. just rushing into my body and all the dopamine and the serotonin and all the beautiful, beautiful things that really do help bring us back to homeostasis, that Mm -hmm. balance. And I remember getting off that bike, like, like, I was on a mission. (laughs) I I can do this. I I can do this. I can do this. Like (sighs) it's it's hard, but I can do this. And, but the thing about it is, Ali, I say that, and then it sounds, you know, especially if somebody's listening, it's like, okay, that's a little bit crazy. I had been training for that moment. Mm -hmm. I didn't know Mm -hmm. I was training for that moment. Mm -hmm. Every day that I get up and, and make my body do what it does not want to do, Mm-hmm. And at the end, when my body is like so tired that it doesn't want to go on, and then I tell it, no, you must. Mm-hmm. That was training me mm-hmm. for that moment. The moment where I didn't want to go on, but I knew that I must. Mm-hmm. My body was just already primed for that type of behavior. We know how to do that. We push to the end mm-hmm. and we do it very strong, mm-hmm. right? So exercise has so many components that if you actually do apply it to your life, Mm -hmm. it's easy to just exercise every day and never really apply it to your life. Mm -hmm. But if you actually take your life and line it up with exercise and say, whoa, you will, you will see how, how similar exercise is to actually going through everyday life issues. Sorry, that was very, very long explanation. Well, it's really interesting. I mean, I love, first of all, how you took what was a little bit of a self-destructive tendency, right? With And turned it into a superpower, you know, with, with the exercise. But the other thing you're saying that's really interesting to me as a psychologist is the externalizing, the, the metaphor, bringing it into the body. Because we, we tend to want to go to our emotions or go to God, all of which are important. But our bodies also carry all of that. And I love what you said about whatever you're feeling externalize it. Because what it made me think of is I had a stroke a couple of years ago. Most of my listeners know about this. And I remember I was terrified. I, For me, I wanted, my body just wanted to not move. It almost felt superstitious because mm. if I start to move, am I going to, is a bad thing going to happen to me? And mm-hmm. I made, and so what I did, it's, it's not unlike what you're saying. It's a different, but I externalized it, but I felt like just craw- like literally like, can I just crawl along? So I did. My body needed to express what I was feeling. 
And so I'll never forget the day I made myself. I walked down the road as I mean, and I like to walk. I mean, I'm I go fast. I go I go 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 go. I was like, I'm gonna walk at the pace, and I can feel the emotion in my body now as I describe it. Right, the pace that my body feels. My body felt 80 years old. Mm. Right, that's what I was feeling. I was like, I just had something happen to me that. I'm too young to have happened to me. And I let my body externalize that feeling. Mm-hmm. And it also helped the emotions mm-hmm. flow through. And, and that's kind of what I hear you saying. We have to find ways to physicalize the pain that we feel because we do carry that pain in our bodies. Yeah, because there's something about, and I, first of all, I'm so sorry to hear about your stroke. All You know, although it, obviously I know you probably have gained so much power through that experience. It still doesn't change the difficulty of the experience. But what you're saying is, Allison, there's just something about what happens when you move. Yes. It's not, it's beyond, sometimes I wish we could get rid of the word exercise. Mm -hmm. Because I think that there's a stigma attached. You know, I talk a lot about exercise as if she was a girl And like how if she was a girl, like no one would date her. Like if she was on a dating app, everyone would always swipe left. It would be like, oh, (laughs) no, her personality traits would be like, oh, time consuming, expensive, tiring, draining. You know, they're like, no, nobody wants her. (laughs) I'm like, she is not like that Mm -hmm. at all. Like Mm -hmm. she is so like Mm -hmm. we've got her so wrong. She Mm -hmm. is for us. You know, mm-hmm. she wants to be our friend. She does make us do hard things, but it's for our benefit, you know, not to hurt us, not to punish us, um, no. really is there as like a constant companion because movement, we were created to move. Yes. As a matter of fact, when we stop moving, you know, right when they say like when you retire, the chances of you dying, like what, triple, quadruple, mm-hmm. I don't even know. Like mm-hmm. they just a couple years later, it's like if you stop, mm-hmm. your body's like, oh, we're well, we must be we're ready to mm-hmm. die. Like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So if that's what happens, you we have to come to the conclusion that we were made to move. It's all we're made to, mm-hmm. to move often, mm-hmm. right? Just to, as a signal to our brain that says, "Hey, we're living this life. Mm-hmm. We're mm-hmm. here for it." Mm-hmm. And so I think even in what you experience, just saying like, "Nope," you're sending a signal to your brain that said, "No, no, 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 no. We're not done here. We're, we're gonna, still alive. We may not be moving at mm-hmm. the speed we were moving before, mm-hmm. but I just want you to know that we're moving." That's right. You know what I mean? That's Whether right. we're walking at a snail's pace, like it's there's movement happening. I am here. My body is alive. My soul and my emotions are carried in that body. They are all interconnected. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, that's a really powerful word. Yeah. Thank you for just sharing that with us, the story and how you got through it. And and, and again, how you turned that. You weren't denying what you felt. All that pain was in there but you were channeling it in a way that empowered you to keep going. Man, I could keep talking to you. I I do want to touch on one thing before we kind of close this out because I was so interested, Chrissy, when you shared, when I heard you share at this retreat that you walked away essentially from social media, at least for a time, about a year ago. Is that right? Yes. What led to that decision and how has that affected kind of your body image and and your overall self-concept? Yeah, I I actually I've lost track now. It's been I want to say it's been almost two years, two years. Since, since I stopped. Well, let's say it's been like a year and a half. 
Mm-hmm. Social media is time consuming. You know, I went through a year where I did this whole business program and I did all the things, you know, because I want to build this brand. It's amazing and make this impact in the world. And something happened at the end of the year, you know, and when I was on a roll and I was moving forward and, you know, my platform community is growing, I felt like I was making an impact. I felt empty mm-hmm. inside. And I thought, huh, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for me to feel empty when I'm doing all the things that I thought would bring me fullness. That seems like an oxymoron. <laughs> so I had to do a deep dive and I had to figure out what it was. And I realized if I was to pinpoint what my real dream was, you know, I used to say this thing like I want, you know, because body image was my thing. Like I want this message to go forth into the world. I wanted mm-hmm. to be like a household, you know, name about exercise and about the body. Like this is what people refer to. And I just realized that the desire to be a household name was really more to be a household name in my own house, in my relationship with my own kids. That was really a true dream for me. Maybe I was running from it. A lot of people, you know, being on social and and stepping out and speaking to people and all that, like that part is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, that, mm-hmm. that, that part is the work, mm-hmm. um, harder for me was not doing that mm-hmm. and to quote unquote, just mm-hmm. be at home with mm-hmm. my kids. I think probably for me, and this is not a message for all mothers. Mm-hmm. This is a message for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want anyone to think that I'm, this is blanketing, you know, what I think moms should be doing. This is what this mom needed to do. And that was that I needed to be brave enough to step into my own home fully engaged. That's amazing. And be okay with letting my community, you know, they're adults, they can, they'll figure it out. I think of myself as an 80 year old woman, you know, looking at my life and somebody asking me like, man, what was your biggest accomplishment? And never once does it it ever float up into my mind to name something I did, a Mm -hmm. book, a conference. It's always the first thought is, what would my kids say about me? And so if that is the most important thought that floats to the top for me, then I knew it was important for me to make sure that whatever they said came from someone who did everything that she could to give them something good to say. (laughs) This is what I mean for those of you who are listening about intentionality, self-awareness, the courage to dig deep into yourself. And and I hear you, Christy, there's no agenda with what you're saying. You're not not every woman is going to arrive at the same conclusion, but you knew what was right for you and you paid attention. And there's that thread throughout everything you tell, right? It's like I knew and I acted and I paid yeah. attention and this is what was right for me. And yeah. I mean, that's just powerful. It's really yeah. a powerful message for women to hear. We, it's going to look different for all of us. Mm-hmm. But that theme of what you said, I felt empty. Yeah. I paid attention to that instead of just, well, this is what the world tells me I should want. Look, I'm getting success. Look, you, you had success. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was working. And you were yeah. like, I felt empty. And wait a minute. Is this what I really want? Yeah. Is this the life that I believe we all have to be? That's the work. Yeah. That we yeah. all have to be doing whatever it leads us to. That's it's yep. it's mm-hmm. like it's just like this quote I read yesterday. It said, This is not a rehearsal. <laughs> 
you know, and that feeling, that emptiness, it's like, you know, I could push ahead, but this life is not a rehearsal. Mm -hmm. I got, I get one shot Mm -hmm. at this life. And I want to know that I lived as the star of my life, as opposed to a supporting role, you know, in my own life. That's right. Because supposed to go a different path that I didn't want to go, but I thought it was the way that I should go, you know, because that's what people said, culture said, you know. That's exactly right, because you exactly right. What what other people's expectations or dreams are for me, what are actually my dreams? Yeah. What do yeah. I want to do with this life I've been given? For sure. Because I thought, yes, it's my dream to be a speaker, to be an author, mm-hmm. to be to follow in the footsteps of my mom. Mm. I just knew for sure. But when I go back into like my heart of hearts, when I think about my upbringing, as amazing as my parents were, are my mom is still here, my dad's not. Fantastic parents doing the best they could with what they had, left a, an enormous legacy. But one thing that I always wanted is I said, I don't want to be a mom that's at home, but not in my home Mm. and be a mom who is very present. Mm. And parents were both entrepreneurs and they sewed into a lot of lives Mm. there. Our house was very much open to many, many people. And which is beautiful. I love how many lives my parents touch. And I love that. That's a part of me of like mm-hmm. kind of having that revolving door type thing. I love that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, that feeling that people had more access to my parents than I did, or that they basically, there was nothing different about me mm-hmm. and these people. I just didn't want to build that same um, legacy. And I felt like that's where I was headed in the sense of, people's lives being on par with my own children in the sense of them needing advice and Mm. um, encouragement. And you know what I mean? It's just, I didn't want to repeat. That's the part of parenting that I didn't want to repeat. My parents wouldn't have known they were doing it, but I know. And now that I know, I don't want to repeat that. So this is my way of trying my best not to. That is such a good word that, again, that self-awareness an ability to translate that, the knowledge that you've been able to translate to wisdom in your own life. There's something about the way you, that connection to yourself and to God, right? It's it's two, it's both. You know you, and then God speaks to you, and you're like, okay, that's what we're doing. There's just mm-hmm. something really beautiful about that that really speaks to me, and I'm grateful, so grateful for you. Allison, I appreciate it. I really do. You know, like any other person, I question myself, like whether or not I am being intentional enough or, and, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not I am doing the best that I can, or, you know, am I being lazy? Am I, <laughs> you know, that's one of the questions that I asked myself when I walked away actually from social, from the light, like, am I just making excuses? Like, I don't want to do the hard work. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do takes to, you know, get to the top or whatever, whatever language you want to use. And I realized, no, actually is more brave for me to not do it in my personal life, just of who I am. This takes more courage for me. And I, I honestly have not looked back. I don't miss it like one iota. Like I don't wow. miss it at all. And that was another, you know, God will tell me to follow peace. 
following peace doesn't always mean that it's not going to be challenging. I think we get that confused sometimes. We think like, oh, if this is hard, that must not be peace. No, it's like the peace that's inside of me. Mm -hmm. Like there's a stillness that says, okay, well, if this is hard, I still know this is the way I'm supposed to go. So I'm, I'm okay doing that hard thing. And so I just, there's a complete peace with me about the path that I've chosen. That is so powerful what you're saying. And as we kind of close this out, I think I think that's what, because the messages out there, if you pay attention, if you're like, because there's messages that say you got to do the work, you got to reach all the people, you got to, that's the right thing to do. That's the godly thing to do. That's the, you know, and then you can have these other messages that are like the right thing to do is to do this. I mean, if you try to read the tea leaves or please all the expectations, whatever the expectations, you're going to wind up pleasing nobody. But that's what's so interesting to me about this journey you're on. And, and I love how you're saying it's not that it's easy. It's not that I'm like, you know, it's like, but I I have that inner sense of peace yeah. that these choices I'm making are right for me. Yeah. And no one can, that's freedom. No one can take that away from you. No one can take that from you. And it's a beautiful thing. It is a really, really beautiful thing. So as I end all of these episodes, I ask all my guests the title of the podcast is The Best of You. What is bringing out the best of you right now? Ooh, man, <laughs> good question. What is bringing out the best of me? I think what brings out the best of me is when I am willing to take the time to get up early in the morning and read and listen and pray when it's quiet. Mm. I have the best days on those days. There's something about feeling a connection to creation mm. and just being grounded in that, like taking a moment to just be, you know, so many figures public figures, they say this of gratitude and all that. And it starts to sound really, really cliche, mm -hmm. but there's nothing better. <laughs> I can't find anything better mm. than taking a moment to acknowledge mm. what is good in your life. Mm. It's really hard to be angry. It's hard to be bitter. It's hard to be frustrated. It's hard to be down. Mm. at the same time as being grateful. Mm -hmm. It's not impossible, but it's really difficult. Yeah. Even if it's just for a moment. Yeah. To be able to acknowledge what is beautiful in your life, mm. that grounds me in the morning and connects me. And just having that talk in the morning with God, reading what I believe is like his words to me, mm -hmm. writing what I think, you know, my interpretation. All of that, all of that brings out the best in me. I love that. Allow me to fully be mm. who I am. To connect and align both within yourself and with God to who you really are and then live from that. Makes a huge difference. The days that I don't do it, I 100% see the fruit of that, whether it's good fruit or not. <laughs> I love that. And then lastly, this might be similar, but what needs or desires are you working to protect? Oh, man. I think right now I'm really learning to protect my time. Mm -hmm. I am 
an extrovert. I'm a people person. I love going to coffee with friends and catching up and encouraging one another. And to me, that is a way of giving life. But sometimes if I'm not careful, it ends up taking life mm-hmm. um, because I'm not getting the things done that I need to get done. And so it's no longer life-giving. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm learning to protect my time better, you know, really streamline my focus. And then also I'm really learning how to become a, a more organized mom. It's just, you know, I'm an artist. So I went to school for theater and, you know, typically artists are not the most organized per se. <laughs> Uh, you know, so much is abstract and, you know, it's very, you know, you know, I'm not saying there aren't organized artists out there. There are, but a lot of us aren't. (laughs) And so then you throw, you know, a husband and five kids into the mix and it's like, oh my gosh, systems, systems, systems. I'm really working on that. And I think that's the area when I talk about like, oh, am I doing the best I can? Mm. Like I, that's, I find myself really struggling in that area and always looking for ways to make it work Mm -hmm. better for me. Mm -hmm. And I believe that there's a gift to the way that I do think and the way that I do operate in the world with my artistic tendencies. And so being able to combine that with an organizational style that works with my personality. Yeah. And I mean, I may, I may not be organized until they graduate. (laughs) (laughs) It's on the job training, right? I mean, it's, there's no way to learn, but through, and you get a little bit better. And then the other thing though, about that, that kind of learning the skills that you gain as a as a parent is the minute you kind of get the system, they're in a different season. They move into a different stage of life and the system has to change. You know, there will be seasons where I'm like, I'm killing this organization. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Who am I? And then I'm like, who am I? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> where's my where's my free spirited artistic self anymore? <laughs> That's when you get on the bike. That's when you <laughs> rise up like you got something to do today it's awesome to you Allison I could talk to you forever I could talk to you forever and we'll have to figure out a time to do it again because I just there's so much wisdom and that God has given you and that you've hard-earned wisdom you've gone through a lot and to arrive at just this place of what you described as an internal peace not because there hasn't been challenges but because you paid attention. And I I just really appreciate your sharing that with me, sharing that with these listeners. And I can't wait to talk to you some more. We'll do it again. I would love it. All right. Thank you, Christy Joy. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Best of You. Be sure to check out the show notes for any resources and links mentioned in the show. You can find those on my website at drallisoncook.com. That's Allison with one L, cook.com. Before you forget, I hope you'll follow the show now so that you don't miss an episode. And I'd love it if you'd go ahead and leave a review. It helps so much to get the word out. I look forward to seeing you back here next Thursday. And remember, as you become the best of who you are, You honor God, you heal others, and you stay true to your God-given self.